Hey everyone, welcome back to Create Out Loud with me, Jen Loudon. On this show, we invite the world's most interesting, dynamic, and groundbreaking creatives to get vulnerable about their creative journey and to share what they've learned along the way so you too can have a deep, fulfilling, creative life. This week, my guest is Kim Hermanison. She is an award-winning author of a book called Getting Messy that I love about teaching in a very lively, non-traditional way. I've always been drawn to her alternative ways of working with creatives. She has worked with hundreds and hundreds to unblock them by using the power of metaphor. She had a shamanic initiation unexpectedly and uninvited and has had repeated experiences like that. She's also on the adjunct uh, faculty of uh, the Pacific Graduate Institute. I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Kim very much. I'm going to talk about doing hallucinogenics. We're going to talk about my fear of her work and lots of other things. Okay, my friends, let's go. Let's dive into alternative ways of knowing with Kim Hermanison. The professional path you have created for yourself is very unique. And you spent years teaching and coaching. And you wrote recently, I soon realized that my work wasn't going to look like traditional therapy, counseling, or coaching. My mission was to take my clients to a particular vibrational frequency. How do you even describe what you do? Do you hate Mm. that question (laughs) at a party? It is another way. It's a really another way. And it's, it's hard to get it because it's a shift from our, again, scientists would say that this is too simplistic to say left brain and right brain, but from somebody Mm -hmm. who studies learning and creativity, you know, there's one place where we know we're in that aligned place of flow and things are moving and we're, you know, we're on fire or whatever. And there's another place where we are like feeling stuck in our little heads. And so that's the way I describe it as left brain and right brain and, and getting into that shift of being. It's a whole other space. It's a whole other vibration. And we have it as babies. Like, for example, when we are born, we don't have language. So we are bumping into the world. We're feeling hot and cold and big and small and what feels good and, and, and you know, sensual and what feels like hard and stiff. We're, we're learning that metaphoric language really young as babies. But then we go to school and I have a PhD in education from the University of Chicago. So I'm very aware of how we learn in school. And, you know, it's very much about the cognitive and taking in information and processing information and learning information. And we don't allow that other way to show up and be equal of importance in our world, in our lives. So it's been super circuitous. I really was following a thread. The first thing that happened was I was working in the computer science field in the arena of artificial intelligence. And so I've always been fascinated by learning and how we learn. And that's what I was doing. I was working in the artificial intelligence field. And I was in a head-on collision on the highway and I broke my back at T12 and I was had to be airlifted and I had less than 5% chance of walking again. And I think that was really the beginning of this like dramatic shift Mm -hmm. in growing up in Iowa, you know, very conservative family, like not super religious necessarily, but very super conservative Midwestern values. And, you know, anything kind of woo woo or spiritual was just not part of my upbringing. You know, education was very highly valued. Science was very highly valued. And so I have a bachelor's and master's degree in computer science. And so I'm working in the artificial intelligence field. 
then I was in a head-on collision. And that night in the emergency room, I was excruciating pain. I knew my back was broken. And a nurse came mm -hmm. over and whispered in my ear. And she said, imagine that you're floating on a cloud. I closed my eyes, imagined that I was floating on a cloud and it shifted me. It shifted my body. It shifted my being to float on a cloud. We have to be light. I was not in a place of lightness when I was in, when we're in pain, we're cleansing, we're tightening our, our bodies. It really shifted my whole energetic being to do that. And I think it's the reason why I recovered so dramatically. I mean, I do have metal rods in my back. I do have a few spine, but I was able to play soccer a year later. That happened when I was in my 20s. And anything that dramatic just really shakes up your life a bit. I decided my life could end at any moment. <laughs> I can see that, right? We're one minute, we're fine. The next minute, we're in a head-on collision on the highway. I decided, what do I really love? I'm going to do what I really love in life. And that's learning, understanding learning, understanding how we learn. So I got a, I went on to get a PhD at the University of Chicago. My advisor was Mike Csikszentmihalyi, who recently passed away. In I October. saw that. He was my advisor, fairly conservative, you know, like his work is academic and science based, but he really also was a champion of mine. And I, I really appreciate that. So I finished my PhD and I was just fried, mentally fried. It was seven years of just heavy academic reading and I couldn't continue on in an academic path at that moment. I needed to rest my head, my thinking. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that was really, that really spoke to me was the creative, creativity. You know, that was life, right? That's the richness of the creative. And so I did a lot of pottery making and things like that. And I, uh, I also, just as, as a lark, I attended a uh, class at the Berkeley Psychic Institute, which was a total lark for me, but I was like, hey, I'm trying all kinds of things now. That was really interesting for me because what I noticed was that I wasn't predicting people's futures. I was dropping below the surface to metaphor and this sort of, I could see people stuck in mud or I could see people trying to open a window that was never going to open or it was all metaphor that I was reading. And so I did that for a while and I taught at UC Berkeley in their teacher credentialing program. And then I, um, I moved up to Montana and was a hippie for a while and lived in a teepee and, uh, I was yearning to teach. So I came back to the Bay Area. And that's really when my work started. At one point, I was interviewing for a teaching position at Meridian University, which is a graduate school of psychology. And the president of the school asked me what I would like to teach in his program. And the word metaphor was spoken through me. I didn't say it. Something else was speaking. And I didn't know anything about metaphor or a study of metaphor or how it related to learning or how it related to psychology. And he said, great, we'll call it the psychology of metaphor. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, great. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Class of PhD students coming up in two months. Okay. All these books just started showing up randomly, like out of print books, amazing books. What I love about the story you just told about finding metaphor, and we'll talk more about what you mean by metaphor and how to use it in a moment, but you followed what showed up. I've been struck by that in my reading of your work over the years and my conversations with you. 
I want to know how you did it. I mean, how did you take what had to be a lot of leaps and I'm sure financial insecurity and, you know, there are consequences to taking the alternative. I'm not saying the alternative path is always the best, but you've found a lot of great liveliness. I think it was my fascination. Fascination. I just love that. I think this is the key over and over again that I hear in so many of the creatives, especially this season. Follow what's fascinating to you. Pay attention to it. It can be so weird and you don't know where it's going to end up or where it's going to take you, but we have to pay attention to that. Ruth Ozeki was a real deep dive into exactly that. And also Carrie Smith. Maybe I'm just hearing it because I need to do this. But what is fascinating to you about your creative process? Are you paying close enough attention? Or again, maybe I'm just asking myself these questions. It was Mm -hmm. really my fascination. And I knew there was something else. I mean, I spent seven years in a PhD program. And Mike Schicksett-Mahai was actually in the psychology department. I was in education. Everybody in my department was studying really, I hate to say this, I'm sorry, people, but, you know, boring things. I was bored. I was so bored. And so I had to go outside of the department to somebody who was doing something unique and different and, you know, as much life as I could find. At the time that I actually asked Mike to be my advisor, my father had just passed away too. And so I was really in that place of, I can't do anything boring. I can't do anything deadening. I can't do anything that doesn't feel alive. I'm going to devote my life to as much life and as much creativity as possible. Maybe that is seeing somebody you love that I'm so close to pass away so young, I think, you know, life is so short. I'm going to live my life just maximizing the creative and maximizing the richness and maximizing the depth and maximizing the beauty. And so to go back to metaphor, I think metaphor is the answer to this question. How do we enter the realm of non-ordinary intelligence to unlock creative genius and inspire (laughs) breakthroughs? So this is this whole shift in this other way of knowing, this other way of being. Our culture is so much into the left hemisphere, our analyzing, our thinking. As babies, we have this other way, this very aesthetic-oriented body way, this feeling sense. We feel our way through the world. And we still do that as adults. If we resort to metaphor when we don't understand something, we we know when we're going through something that we don't know how to handle, we're feeling our way. We don't know in our heads how to navigate it. So we're feeling our way. That's metaphor to, to feel our way. Like, I feel like I'm on fire now. I feel like I'm stuck now. I, that feels like a wall over there. That feels really opening over there. We have that language. We have that way of knowing but it's buried and we don't really give it a lot of credence because we think what we think is so important. There's this whole other way of knowing that we were born with, but we're just schooled out of it. And again, I have a PhD in education, so I can criticize the school system because I I know that. And there's a lot of schools that are doing things differently now and, and know that. So I teach in the field of depth psychology. So depth psychology is often the study of dreams. Art therapy is in that field. So anything working with image or art would be psychology oriented. And But what's amazing is just working with imagery will 
will not shift us into this other way of knowing, this other sensory, aesthetic, right brain, right hemisphere way of knowing. And metaphor is the thing that makes that shift. It is because metaphor is not only an image, but it's a feeling sense. When somebody says, I feel like everything's crashing down on me, we can see an image of, oh, everything's crashing down, but we can imagine what it feels like to have everything crashing down us on us too. I was thinking about this the other day, you know, like if we have to have a difficult conversation with somebody and say, we can't do something or whatever, speaking in metaphor is very helpful because it allows the other person to feel what we're saying. We're not just coming from a place of cognition. We're, we're bringing this other deeper way of knowing in, into the conversation and allowing them to feel it. It's very much about, very aesthetic, very much into feeling. And uh, that's what brings us into this other arena and takes us out of the thinking mind. Into the non-ordinary realm. Yes. And one of the books that has been helpful for me in referring to um, with my work is Jill Bolte's Taylor book, A Stroke of Insight, because she was a brain scientist. She is a brain scientist. She had a uh, terrible injury. So she was her left brain was had injury and so she only had a right brain available to her and again you know scientists would say this is way too and people have criticized her work you know that this is way too simplistic right. you know the brain is much more complicated than that and of course when many parts of our brain have a left and right they're they're duplicated like the amygdala and yes. parts of our brain i am not a brain expert um, but what i can say from somebody who studies learning and creativity is that there's two ways of being. There's this way of being where we're in our thinking and we can tell we're kind of stuck, but we can't get ourselves out of it. And we think we need to think harder or better to get ourselves out of it. And there's this other way of being where we're just allowing something else to move through us and take us and show us that's the right brain. And I, I love her book because it shows how when we let ourselves go beyond our left hemisphere thinking mind, something else opens up that is mystical. It's divine. Again, you know, I grew up in a very conservative family in Iowa, just not into the sort of hippie, uh, you know, new age stuff at all. But my academic background allows me to be able to speak about this and say, hey, this isn't just woo woo hippie stuff here. We have this other way of knowing that we dismiss that connects us with the divine, which allows us to move into something more intelligence than ourselves, you know, that, that allow. And to me, that's the creative. We can think our creativity is just coming from our small little, you know, selves. I am some who believes that the creative is bigger than us and it wants to, and life wants to move us yeah and we're moved by the creative we're moved by greatest artists and writers often say that this wasn't me that wrote this book or this wasn't me that did this art piece there's something bigger than us that wants to move us into the creative wants to move us into creative expression and we need to let go of our our thinking so that we can open that up so wanted to ask you when you talk about the something else or the divine or that we're brilliant when we align with something greater than ourselves. What is that something? And what if we're not someone who believes in something in God or the divine? So can you say more about that? I mean, I, I know one of the things you've written is research has scientifically proven the existence of the intelligent field. I don't know what's out there as far as science goes with the field. I know like Rupert Sheldrake and other scientists have studied that. The piece of research that I'm most interested in is those people that are studying what they call the heart field. There's an mm. institute called Heart Math that the heart is actually an intelligent organ and it has a field of knowing. 
The heart math stuff that Kim is referring to is called the Heart Math Institute. You can Google it. They've done some really interesting research about how the neurons in your heart, which do not function as a second brain, but do send critically important information from your heart to your cranium brain, if you would, knowing that you can calm that information, you can change it, and it affects other processes, including your creativity. I think that's pretty straightforward and you can count on that science. That goes back to the solo episode I did about making it safe, that we have to make a practice of working with our nervous system as creatives to stay out of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. We have to keep paying attention to that because it's not going to be at the level of our conscious awareness. And just to be really straightforward and simple, when we're doing that, when we're calming our nervous system, of course, we're going to open to other ways of thinking, sensing, and feeling that Kim's about to talk about. Metaphor is the language of the heart for speaking to that deeper place, part of ourselves. Even if you weren't spiritually inclined, you would admit there's deeper things happening within us, right? I mean, we have dreams, we have, you know, visions, we have insights. There's something else happening besides what we think at any given time. Don't even need to go into the fact that this can take us into amazing shamanic dimensions to go to go with metaphor. But even just, I'm thinking of the poet Stanley Kunitz wrote at one time, you know, the greatest poet, sorry, I can't remember how he said it, but you know, they they grapple with one primary image their whole lives, mm-hmm. you know, and it's often something from childhood, like Evie White's Spiderweb, you know, Charlotte Webb. For me, growing up in Iowa, farming community is very much about farming and fields and earth and soil. And that kind of depth and richness has nourished me my whole entire life. It's the source of my work. It's the source of my fascination. It's the source of my love. And I think that that images and metaphor are speaking to us, whether we believe in something beyond ourselves or not. Friend grew up in England on the coast, ocean waves, very important to her. You know, another grew up in Mexico and the markets, you know, so those images are working us at this other place of our being. And there and there's so much wisdom there and there's so much guidance there for us, whether or not we believe there's actually a greater intelligence moving us. If- we can suspend our disbelief and say, let's experiment with metaphor. So how would we do that? And why would we do it? You've really given us a case for why, which is to unlock our creative genius. But can you give us an example of what has happened? I know you've worked with many, many people around this. I'm going to talk about something that I just worked with yesterday. She is an amazing, amazing, amazing painter. Her work is deeply sensuous. Grew up in a family that was very Catholic. She went to boarding schools with nuns that would beat her if you know she liked a boy, things like that. When she works with me, she's able to feel what her work wants. She's able to feel that space. Even yesterday when we worked together, like her work wants bigger space. That wasn't literal. That's a metaphor. What does that mean for her that her work wants met- bigger space? And she's realizing, oh yeah, I'm, I'm still feeling afraid that I can't really do this. Can't really express this, this sensuality that I, because I might get in trouble. Somebody might beat me. Hit me with a ruler. When we can feel what's true, when we can feel what our work wants, when we can feel what's calling us, it makes a lot of difference. And we're not, we're coming from a different place. The feeling place, not the thinking place. Yes. 
Yeah. Because you, you make that point often that it's not about figuring it out or interpreting the metaphor. It's about feeling into it. It correct? exactly is. Yeah. And I was in the field that I teach in depth psychology. So it's so much about imagery and I get all kinds of people in my workshops that have been teaching and leading groups for years, um, working with images, they still have a hard time shifting because when we work with images, whether it's dream or, or guided visualization or whatever, we're still in that left hemisphere knowing that analytical place like, mm-hmm. oh, I got a sun. A sun means I should shine more. Oh, I got a, a truck just came up. I need to move somewhere or take a trip. We're still in our thinking, but our thinking limits us because we can only think what we already know. We don't have access to something we don't know. We want to have access to something we don't know. Stop there for a second. <laughs> we have to have access to something we don't know. Because that's what I think really draws me to your work and your work about teaching. Because some of the things that you wrote in the Getting Messy book is being a learner is what allows creative insight to happen. The more we separate ourselves from the messy business of learning, the more we lose heart for our work. We start to forget that we feel most alive when we're simply offering ourselves, our knowledge, our passion, our interests. So this is a theme of your work for all of these years that I really resonate with. It does feel so alive, but it also feels really scary. And does not feel scary to you? Tell me where the scariness is for you. I think because I have some pretty strong learning, what do we call them now? Differences. We used to Mm -hmm. call them disabilities. Mm -hmm. I am so afraid of all of the mistakes that I made before. I didn't learn until I was almost done with college that I had the differences in my brain that I have a lot of fear of not doing it right. Yeah. Keeping things tidy, if you will, of like, oh yeah, there's something really rich there. Oh God. Mm -hmm. It's not don't go there, but there's something. Yeah, I haven't really noticed that before, but there's something, there's some part of me that's afraid. And this is from a child who did a child. I mean, but in my teenage and college years, did a lot of hallucinogenic drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not that I haven't, you know, had plenty of inner adventures, lots and lots of meditation retreats and sweat lodges. And, you know, I think it's more of a function of age, trying to make things work for my brain. Well, we don't want to get too wild, right? I mean, if we get too wild, then we're lost. So that's true. And we do too many drugs in your we all know those people. We know those people who didn't quit, who kept going. So when we work with the creative, we are also working with form. We're also working with structure. So we're not losing ourselves in anything. Form is super important. What do you mean by form? So the way it shows up in my work is tune in and people, some sort of image will appear. Some people are working pure expansiveness. Like they're in a time in their lives where they just need to let go of everything. They're letting go of marriages and work and their definitions of themselves and everything they've ever thought. They just need to let go. What's most common is some sort of form because we're all working on being selves in the world. We're working a sense of self and definition of my work and who am I and you know what choices do I want to make. So that is form. That's we're defining something. We have lines and that's the way it will show up metaphorically. And so when we're working deeply creative people that I work with are also like my painter friend that I just mentioned. I mean she form 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 is always coming up. There's no losing oneself in the creative here. There's no losing ourselves in that drug Mm. place. There's, you know, we're always working form, we're working structure, we're working lines, like, but it's important where those lines are, where that definition is. So for example, 
size shows up. When large form appears, it often means, so we have structure, we have lines, we have good definition, but we want to allow more spaciousness. We want to give ourselves more space. We want to give our work more space. Sometimes size shows up as smaller. So I'm still working form, but I, I want to be smaller in my life right now. I'm, I have too many clients. I have too many responsibilities. I have too many obligations. I have involved in too many people's business and I just need to get back to my own business. This work of metaphor and the creative that I work with, the deep creative, we are never losing ourselves unless we're in a place where we are, what's showing up is let go right now. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. let go. You know, again, as far as that fear place, it, it does show up when people, I wanted to press you a little bit to see mm -hmm, yeah. what you had to say about that. But fear does show up because we have sort of the, the thought that we might lose ourselves. There's no losing oneself. Here. I love that. That's a yeah. beautiful distinction. I realize that we've done this sort of deep dive and we should really pull back and help the listener perhaps have some idea of how they can work this way without you. Although of course they could hire you and work with you in a wonderful way as well. But how do you work through the, finding this non-ordinary intelligence through metaphor on your own? So the first thing that I would love to share with your listeners to just know that there's another space available. There's just stop right space. there and take that there in. There is another space. There's another space. We are not lost in the problem. We're not lost in, there is a whole other space available to us. I mean, that is a shift right there. It is. And I do that with my clients through meditation. Just the remembrance that you are not stuck. You are not lost in the problem. You're not stuck. Remember the bigger space. One of the things that I say to my clients is yay for knowing you never need to stay stuck. Stuck gets sticky. <laughs> stuck keeps you stuck in its story that you're stuck because you refuse to believe you could do something about it. So what Kim just said, I hope you can feel that shift in you and make a note of it. Share it with someone. Hold onto it. It's gold. There's a whole other space. There's okay, so that's beautiful. Space. Right there, everybody take that in. That is <laughs> yeah. so important. It's so important. There's a whole other space. And then the other thing that anyone can do is just start paying attention to your language and how you feel. I mean, we'll be in conversations with friends. We'll speak metaphorically. Oh, something's hanging over my head now, or I really need to let go. That's all metaphor. Paying attention to those ways that we're speaking is going to give us a really good idea of what's going on. And metaphor therapy and, and metaphor and coaching has become very popular because it, it really helps us know what's going on under the surface, you know, in ways that we can't think our way there. We, they just come through. The other thing that I love, and I, I have a YouTube video about this, is writing a fairy tale. I mean, that's a super simple way. It seems very childlike. You know, when we write the words once upon a time, a long time ago, we're taking ourselves into that other space, into that imaginal space. And just allow, when you once you write those words, don't push it, don't think it, don't write it from that place, allow some sort of feeling to show up or some sort of inner image to show up. And then just start writing. I think the example I gave in the video on YouTube was, you know, like, oh, I see a path and the path looks like it's leading somewhere, but I'm not quite on the path. 
seeing and feeling like mm -hmm. imagery and, and feeling into that image. And then another thing is just start noticing the aesthetic quality of the world and, and of our lives. I mean, we walk around in our, our heads and our thinking, you know, our world is so beautifully sensuous and our lives are so beautifully sensuous. And there is sort of maybe that cultural thing like sensuality is not okay. Or, but... or maybe nowadays it's more productivity as God. In my listeners world, I imagine we've lost some of that puritanical sensuality is bad, but we've replaced it with productivity is good. <laughs> you know, yeah. which is true. The pur Puritans were all about productivity too. <laughs> productivity is a great thing. However, it can strip Pushing. the life out of you. Exactly. A pear tree wouldn't produce, push itself to produce fruit in the middle of winter. Timing, we have seasons, we have ways of being. We want to follow that deeper. Oh, that that's so hard for me. Oh, that's so hard for me. But you're right. It's absolutely true. And when you push it, you often end up in a really burnout place. I really got that after seven years of PhD program. Mm -hmm. I was really burned out for at least, I mean, it took me years to kind of recover from that. Mm -hmm. to be Some other ways to work on accessing metaphor. And then I, what I love to do, I do this all the time. I, I'll have a question in mind or I just want to shift. I just feeling a little like I just want to shift of energy around something. And so I'll ask a friend for an image, whatever pops into their mind, mm. but I won't tell them what my question is because I don't want their thinking to get involved. I'll just say, what's the first image that pops into your mind? And then I'll do a little writing piece. You know, let's say it's a red beach ball. I am the red beach ball and I'll feel what what it's like to be a red beach ball. So metaphor allows us to imagine, you know, we can playing characters in a play, we know what it, we can imagine what it'd be like to play a character. We're doing the same thing here with images. Like, what does it feel like? We're not inside the red beach ball. We're not throwing the red beach ball around. We are the red beach ball. Well, I feel really big. I'm a circle. I, that feels, it gives me a nice sense of wholeness. I really like how light I am. So the mind likes to complicate things. And when we work with images. We get a flower. Is it rooted or not? Does it have yeah. <laughs> what kind of flower is it? <laughs> you know, it was like, there's a house. Okay. The house has windows and doors. The doors are leading somewhere. So, you know, we'll immediately go into the story place with an image. Yes. But what takes us into this other way of knowing is just feeling like if we get a door, it's simply a door. It's not going anywhere. What does a door feel like? It's square. It's, it has a nice firmness to it. it it's very clear and defined. There's no sort of wigginess of edges here. So we want to go into the two or three primary qualities of whatever image you're working with. Keep it simple. Simple is powerful. Simple is what's potent. Really want to shift. We have to keep it super simple. When you think about the bottom of the ocean and all the, and what's going on, there's not a lot of activity like movement happening there. It's just a subtle shift on the bottom. There's a lot of activity on the surface of the ocean, right? So we want to, we're going into that place, a very subtle shift with metaphor. Okay. So you held that question. Your friend gave you the image. You go and write about it from this feeling place, from this being the red beach ball, yeah. not trying to figure out what the red beach ball means, not being it, but feeling it. Well, we are being it. We're, we're being it. Okay. Yeah. We're being the beach ball. And that is the power of this work as well, because it is about being. Our lives are so much about doing, what should I do next? Which this is like things happen when we change our energy, right? So this is 
an energy shift here. Like, for example, if I'm having a day that's too busy, an image that's structured is going to help me. A bookcase that is very tidy with nice compartments on it, you know, like feeling that sense of clarity and structure and definition. I'm not getting lost and overwhelmed here. I'm this feeling sense of sturdy clarity. Mm, I can feel that. Now, do you then go after you've done the writing of being the image and keeping it simple? Because simple is potent. Love that. Then do you go back to the question and see how it relates as a way to work with the question? I mean, finish that loop for me. Uh, The example I gave was the red beach ball. Let's say, you know, this beach ball is fairly big. Beach balls are big. So I, I have a nice sense of size here and circle shape. So I'm not the only one in this world who's, who's worked with this kind of primary imagery. Um, there's an anthropologist, she's passed away. Um, Angelus Arian had- Oh, Angie done, Aaron. Yeah. I loved her. She yeah. was very important to me. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. She's mm-hmm. amazing work. She studied the five primary simple shapes, you know, so there's the cross, there's the circle, there's the triangle, there's the square, and there's a spiral, I think, are the five that she's mm-hmm. studied. For me, crosses don't come up very often in my work, but circle and square all the time, all the time. Spiral occasionally, triangle occasionally. But anyway, so here we have circle shape. Circle shape is very much about individuation, a sense of wholeness, a sense of I have everything I need. So many of us look outside of ourselves, including myself, you know, look outside ourselves for validation or what do other people think? The circle shows us, no, you've got everything you need. It brings me back to a sense of self, circle does. So that image of red beach ball just brought me back to myself sense of wholeness and ownership. And then you connect that to like, so maybe your question was, how do I finish this next section of my book? Oh, circle, wholeness. I have what I need. Let me look look inside for, and and maybe in that case, you had found yourself, I'm making this up entirely clearly, that you were scrambling for more sources or you were going back to doing more research and like, oh, let me tune into what I have here inside of me and wholeness. Yeah. It's a shift of energy. It's a shift of being. A shift of energy more than a figuring it out. That's what you're telling me. Yeah. And more than, it'll give you an answer, but it'll give you, you know, metaphor works in that kind of slippery way, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, It's not direct. And so it'll give you the answer in an indirect way. I mean, one of the things that I've been going through this year, I mentioned in the email to you, my, my mother was sick for a long time and passed away and um, not for a long time, but she, a few months that we were with her before she passed. And I needed to find myself and get back to myself in the middle of that experience. Often circle energy or circle shape would show up for me when I was there because I wanted to be with her in a whole way, but I I couldn't lose myself either, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So often I I would ask friends while I was going through that with my mom, you know, give me an image because I'm just, I'm in pain right now or I'm hurting or I want that. I want to help her. And I, and it's like, no, honey, you're okay. Sense Mm -hmm. of self, get back to self. Everything's here. Anything else you want us to know about working with metaphor on our own? I think the biggest thing is what I said at the beginning is like, Mm -hmm. there's just know that there's another way. Know that there's another answer. There's a third space. There's a third way. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love to ask this last question of all of my guests. What would you like to learn next? Mm. One thing that I'm toying with is that I have 
had a haunting around music in my life. I've pushed it away because it doesn't make any sense. Not a great, great musician. I'm not a great singer. It doesn't make any sense, right? I'm doing great work. I love my work. I'm helping people. It doesn't make any sense to pursue music, but it's haunting me and it's haunted me for years. That's one thing. And then I think the other thing about learning is just learning to be more myself. View myself as very nerdy. I don't fit very many places. Owning that more and saying, okay, I'm going to just be me. I'm going to love my quirks. It's okay that I don't fit kind of thing. I feel that very much so. I led my first in-person event at the end of October 2021. And it was so great to be with lots of people like ourselves. Yes. <laughs> and one of my longtime student clients was there. I know how nerdy she is. She's an extraordinary nerd. And at one point she said something in the circle about Amy said, I'm, you know, you might've noticed I'm a nerd about this. And when she was done speaking, I said about this, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I made right. some joke and she took, she called her husband that night and told him, and he, she said he laughed for two minutes straight. <laughs> And as we age, may we have more and more space to be the metaphor we are. <laughs> be fully ourselves in all our nerdiness and all our quirks. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Kim. This was a really rich conversation for me. I can feel lots of energy shifts and uh, I'm very grateful for your work. Well, thank you so much. What an interesting brain. I mean, I take away so much from that conversation, including who knows how our professional paths will unfold. I love how she's been able to really follow what's interesting and juicy and calling her. But this whole thing of working with images and metaphors, I actually, after this interview, created a really cool exercise I use in my online writing, teaching all of my different programs just around this idea of uh, inviting in and talking to an image and we use the group to do it. That's the takeaway way for me, just opening a lot more to this alternative way of thinking. I'm not even of thinking, but of, of relating to the world and to my imagination. What's your takeaway? You know I want you to get something practical you can use. And here's what I always say. Can you text a friend with an idea that you got from this episode? Maybe even share the episode from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or click on over to jenniferloudon.com. Right at the top, you can click on podcast. You'll find the episode. You can share it there with fantastic show notes and wonderful links. And next week... I have the wonderful, the brilliant Pamela Slim, and she's going to be talking about the ideas in her new book, The Widest Net, for how to get the word out about your work in ways that you have never thought about that are so human-centered. It's not about building an empire. It's about building your ecosystems. I have got her book open and next to me. I'm trying out so many good ideas. They're small, they're practical, they're beautiful. They're about connection. And they're about allowing yourself to be seen in ways that feel safe and doable. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. You will love her so much. Hope you're subscribed. Hope you're sharing this podcast. And most of all, I hope this week you will create out loud. See you next week.